Welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast with Heather Hakes, where mindset is everything. Thank you for joining me and tuning into this podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with your friends. This podcast is here to open your awareness. I want to provide you with tactical teachings on how to master your mindset, create your ideal reality, overcome obstacles, and leverage adversity. And most importantly, it's to help you realize that you are in total control of your reality. My hope? To inspire and motivate you to keep going. And no matter what, it's all about mind over matter. Be sure to check out my website, heatherhakes.com, where I offer you a free video training on how to get unstuck and create lasting change. Again, that's heatherhakes.com and opt into my free video training. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to episode number 287. I am so excited to bring you today's guest. She is a multiple New York Times best-selling author and somebody who I have followed for years. And today, she is teaching you the importance of being open to possibility. Welcome to today's interview. I brought on Pam Grout, a multiple New York Times best-selling author and somebody that I have read and followed for years. Pam, thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a joy to talk to you today. Please give listeners a little background. Where do you live and what do you do? Where do I live and what do I do? You know, it's funny. I consider myself more of a child of the universe, but I actually, my home base is Lawrence, Kansas, a little university town where William Burroughs, you know, the beat poet lived the last part of his life. In fact, he lived there more than anywhere else. It's just a little fun, funky university town, not too far from Kansas City, but I travel a lot. As we were talking earlier, I've been a travel writer most of my life, so I, I, even though my home base in, in Kansas, which I love beautiful sunsets, you know, it's really a beautiful place, but, um, that people don't recognize, which is part of my thing. Like I'm going to have people recognize things that don't recognize. But anyway, so I, I go all over the, all over the world. I've been to, you know, everywhere. And I, and I often will, you know, go a place for a month and, and live and work. So yeah, that's kind of my jam. I'm kind of a little bit of everywhere, a gypsy kind of person. <laughs> Well, and since you have been all over the place and, and we talked briefly about travel, I, I just have this wanderlust in me. I want to see so much and experience. What is maybe your top one or two places you've been or want to go back to? You know, that's funny that people always ask me that question. I have one of two answers usually. It's just like you don't always want pizza for a meal. You know, we, we want different things. So it kind of depends on what you want as far as what your favorite place is. The other answer I often give is the last place that I was because I just, it's like right in my mind and I'm so in love with it because I fall in love with everywhere I go. But I'll, I'll tell you, you, know, you mentioned Cape Town. That is a beautiful city. I really like Cape Town a lot. Just, just to give you some answers. Um, love Cape Town, love Austria. Um, had a very remarkable experience in India. So I don't know. I mean, I like a lot of places, but I wouldn't want to just go back to one place over and over again. You know, I mean, I really do like the variety and I like, I still have some places on my bucket list. You know, I haven't been to Chile or Argentina yet. And um, both of those I'm quite eager to go to. Haven't been to Bali either. Um, So there's another one, but I've been to a lot. I don't know. I've been like 70, 80 countries, something like that, but there's still new ones to, to explore. Well, and I want to talk, um, one of the books that I first 
found out about you was E squared, which was very popular. I don't, when was that written? It was years ago. You know, it came out in 2013. Dang. And okay. it's really interesting, the story behind it. And um, I had written that exact same book 10 years early, had published it. It was called God Doesn't Have Bad Hair Days. And it did nothing. I mean, nothing. Probably because the publisher of that book, I think, hired a fundamentalist Christian publicist. And that wasn't the, that wasn't the book at all. It was just more like God. So then I, I set it aside. I wrote three books for National Geographic on, you know, traveling. But then I always loved that book with the experiments because I thought, you know, that's a way to get people to really realize that these principles work. So I repackaged it. I it did have 10 experiments in the original. And so I repackaged it with nine experiments. I actually um, changed it to one of the experiments, but basically it was the same book. And it just took off like a, like a, I don't know, a, a phoenix. I mean, it just really went crazy. On the New Year's Eve before 2013, when it came out January 27th or something of 2013, but the New Year's Eve before I was in Savannah, Georgia, visiting my sister, we were out watching the fireworks on the beach. And so I took a big stick in the beach in big giant letters. I wrote E squared will be an international bestseller. And then I let the waves come in and, you know, take it out into the universe. And I mean, that book has been translated into 40 languages. It is, you know, number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And it's funny because it was my 16th book. You know, I've been at this writing game for quite a while. <laughs> Again, yeah. you know, because that's what I love to do. Um, but for whatever reason, it just took off. I mean, it was all social media. The publisher didn't put a lot of money into it. I mean, once they started seeing that it was popular, but it just really, I think, word of mouth it just took off like like i said just woo, it, it, it everywhere you know i i to this day get emails from people that send me something like you are never gonna believe this and i always say yes i'll believe it because that's what i i write about so anyway well and it's one i go back to and i recommend it to many friends because it's an easy one to understand the power of your thoughts and your focus and how to manifest but I want to point out there on that New Year's Eve, you declared to the universe that it was going to be an international bestseller and it was. So there was no doubt, right? Like you, you said it and you trusted. Well, and one of the things I talk about too is I had written the book before it was published and it, you know, basically didn't do anything. And I back then probably had affirmed that too. But I think the big change is I change my frequency. You know, we talk a lot about frequency and, you know, we're all energy beings. In fact, that's why those wands, that experiment with the wands is so powerful because people can see what their thoughts are doing. So what their energy is sending out there. So I think at the time E squared came out, um, I was just ready. You know, I was on a much more joyful, happy frequency. I was open to all the gifts. I was aware of this bigger thing, much more so than before. So I think, you know, possibly my frequency changed than, you know, what had happened 10 years earlier. Because again, I had affirmed when that, when it came out as God doesn't have bad hair days as well. So, so anyway, I think a lot of it has to do with our frequency and what we're, partly what we're expecting, but also what we're willing to notice and be aware of. Well, and that's something that I preach about is self-awareness because you can't change what you don't know. So do you have kind of a how-to or to help people become more aware of they're conscious and I know subconscious thoughts, but how do you consciously create, we all have desires. So how do we step into what you call the FP? How do we, cause what I understand is everything we want is already available to us. It's just about aligning and connecting with it. So how, how do you teach someone how to do that? Well, one of the things I say is that we animate into our experience, whatever we put our attention upon. 
So if we put our attention upon the limited beliefs that we've had all our lives, the paradigms that we were taught from our culture, from our families, then that's what we're going to see. That's what we're going to animate into our life. So I think the biggest tip is to let go of all the beliefs, all the paradigms, all the things that you were told is the way the world works and be open to this idea that maybe the universe really does want to connect with you, bless you, um, guide you to really be open to that possibility. And I think that's the reason each squared was such a big hit is that, I mean, we've heard this kind of thing forever, right? I mean, this is nothing new. I mean, even the Bible says asking each shall receive. But because I set it up in the framework of these scientific experiments, I mean, I actually used the scientific method, you know, you had a hypothesis and everything, and I gave 48 hours. So people are actively paying attention to what's happening. And I think, so, so it's like you couldn't miss it. And I think I really wanted people to know this. And so um, with these experiments, you give it a try and you, you realize, wow, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> so I think that's why it ended up being, being so popular. Um, so yeah, I just say people give it a try, you know, whatever beliefs that you have right now, just put them on hold for 48 hours. Most of those experiments are 48 hours. So if you can just put your certainties, the things, you know, your conditioning on hold for 48 hours and just see what could possibly happen. So I think that's a real important key thing is to just let go of all those beliefs that you've been taught that have been brained into you. I heard something today. I thought this is really true. We're not so much, um, you know, we talk about um, human conditions. It's more like we're humans conditioned. You know, we're conditioned to be a certain way when there's just so much. So the human condition is really about humans being conditioned because there's so much more possible. And we are connected to this much bigger field of infinite potentiality or, you know, the quantum field is, as, uh, you know, they talk about quantum mechanics. But we are connected to that and we interact with that on a regular basis. And you say, how do you teach people to do that? The truth of it is you're already doing it. Everybody's doing it. I guess the question is, how are you going to do it in a way that better serves you? That better, because so many of us still believe that we're limited, that there's something wrong with us. I mean, just these thoughts that are constantly parading across our brain. And when you start believing in that, you believe in these beliefs that, you know, money is limited and hard to come by. We have these, all these beliefs in scarcity. You know, there's just not enough to go around. So these kind of beliefs create the situation that we find ourselves in. So if we can let go of those beliefs that what about, what if the world is abundant? And what if there is this force that wants to connect with you? I mean, just give it a try. And yeah, I'm not asking for you to totally turn over your beliefs. Just give it a try for a short amount of time. So that's basically, I guess, what the book did is it gave people a reason to maybe put aside all their conditioning for 48 hours and just see what would happen. And then when things start happening, then your belief only grows in the bigger picture in this, you know, this field of infinite potentiality. And I've had a lot of fun doing this over the years. I remember even The Secret when it came out years ago, there was an example in the movie, something as simple as a cup of coffee or parking spaces. Uh -huh. And to this day, and it can be on, you know, opening day for the Colorado Rockies, which parking is, quote, people's belief impossible. And I can get front row parking like right in front of the stadium. You know, I just I have so much fun with it. And I think that's what I've been able to tap into is the fun, the joy. And then it's like, Ooh, if I can do that, what else can I do? And, and I come from an angle of curiosity and excited anticipation, but you're right. A lot of the beliefs, and I hear it all the time, especially my age group is let's talk about money. You know, everybody's so focused on what is or not having enough. And then they wonder why that continues. 
or when it comes to dating that, you know, there's nobody good left or I'll never find anybody or dating is so hard. How do you help people become aware of like their repetitive thoughts to help them realize that's a limitation you've imposed? Well, how do I help people become aware of it? I think, well, meditation is a good process for getting in touch with, you know, all the thoughts that go through your head. I think, you know, making it a priority. Well, you know, I, I'm a student of Courts of Miracles. And one of the things that um, I say every morning is, you know, Holy Spirit, uh, you know, I want you to lead my day. I want you to show me, you know, what's going to happen today. And the minute I start having thoughts of myself, I ask Holy Spirit, help me see it differently. And Holy Spirit might be a word with baggage for people. I mean, that's one of the things I did in each square that I tried to take away all that baggage because, in fact, I talk a lot about the myths about God and religion and some of that kind of stuff. And I think it gets in the way, but the Holy Spirit is this field of infinite potentiality, basically. And it, again, wants to guide us. So I simply say, help me see this differently. So I ask for help to see things differently. I don't want to rely on the limited beliefs and conditioning that have you know, driven my life, I want to be open to the bigger possibility. I mean, when you think about it, we live in this, on this tiny planet hurling through space, you know, with gazillion galaxies. I mean, you know, it's yeah. just kind of funny how we could think that whatever we believe, or, you know, how could even this big, giant, massive field of potentiality even work in this little limited um, neural system that we have? You know, it's just so much bigger. And so, I don't know. I just always want to be open to possibilities. As far as teaching other people, again, I think just doing those experiments and trying it, you know, give it a try. Be willing to suspend your judgment for a short amount of time. Just, just try it. Try it. I, and like it, as that commercial used to say. <laughs> I like that. Be willing to suspend your judgment. Yes. So when it, we talk about paradigms and paradigm shifting, I think this is kind of a buzzword and, and something people talk about, but what does that even mean? Well, okay. I mean, a good example, you know, this election that's going on, you know, that's, in my opinion, already solved. But, you know, some people believe it's one thing and some people believe it's another thing. How can we be in the same reality? But the truth of it is we're in different paradigms on how we're seeing things. So um, a paradigm basically is a set of beliefs that is, and that's your framework for how you see the world. It's like your blueprint, I guess, for how you think the world works. And if you buy into this idea that the world, that if there's scarcity, that the world is, there's only so much to go around. If you buy into that, you're going to be limited. You're going to only get what you're able to allow yourself to see. So that's a paradigm. That's a belief system. So I guess I call a paradigm a belief system or a conditioning. And again, I talk a lot about, you know, quantum quantum uh, physics in my books. And there's a term called collapsing of the wave. And what happens is there's this infinite number of possibilities, but once someone observes it, this observer effect, they collapse the wave, meaning the world cannot be any other way other than the way you've decided that it is. Mm -hmm. And it's a, something they've proven over and over again with quantum physics that once you decide, it, the, the, the classic experiment is, you know, is it, is it a wave or is it a, a particle? And whatever you expect it to be, that's what you get. So it happens on a bigger level and when you expect that the world's difficult or that's really hard, or you use the example, there's not enough men to go around, if you've collapsed that way, that's the reality that you think is true, you create that for yourself. It's not true in the whole bigger picture, but for you in the way that you collapsed, that you concretized into your life, 
that's what you're going to see. And we're all these little feedback loops. You know, we just see the things that we expect to see. And, you know, the biggest thing a person can do is to open their expectations, to begin to believe something to be bigger and better than what they can perceive at this point. And do you believe, is that what E-Square does? It helps you to break the pattern and to open your, just open to possibility? Well, I kind of think of it as baby steps. But again, once you see that happening, yeah. you realize, wow, maybe this stuff really does work. Because I mean, we've been paying lip service to this forever. So I think the purpose of E-Squared is to get some people have some, you know, see it with their own eyes, to get some experience under their belt. And then, like you said, once you get the good parking spot, then you realize, wow, where else can I do this? So it just opens the door a crack. I mean, there's still a lot of opening we could all do because it's really easy to fall back into our old patterns. But just it's like opening the door. It's a way to, you know, get your toe in the door. And I guess my highest hope is that people will continue to practice it and continue to explore what else they can do with this, these principles that I talk about in eSquared. You know, there's nine principles. Um, you know, the first one is the do to buy. It's the fact that there is this field, there is this thing out there that wants to guide us and bless us and interact with us. So once we get that, and if we really can get that paradigm, and that means it's a whole lot bigger than we are, and there's a whole lot more possibilities than what we can conceive. So that's once you can get that and just be willing to be open, then you know all bets are off or all bets are on, I guess, depending on how you want to say that. I want to share a quick experiment I did with you of my own a few months ago for shits and giggles. I decided to use your principles, but I tweaked it some. So I it was a 14-day experiment. I wanted to manifest 10 grand because for me, that was a law and I didn't know. How. So I let go of the how. I didn't say it had to come this avenue, but it was a 14 day experiment. So I knew how long and what 10,000. And then every day I just woke up and I was like, how's it going to come today? By day two, I had 4,500 come in. I was like, damn, I should have gone higher. <laughs> and then by the end of the experiment, 10,600. So I was like, okay, this works. But what I guess my question for you is, especially after doing the experiments, and I know they work because I've done them time and time again, I keep going back to that book. But if we know they work, what do you think, why wouldn't we continue doing that every day to, to keep opening and more possibility and more joy and more, we do it and then it's like we fall off. Well, these patterns are so ingrained within us and we've been doing the other way. Of course in Miracle says, these, this isn't a hard thing to do. It's just so different than how we're used to doing life. Yeah. You know, we've decided the way life is. And so even though we have these remarkable successes, like say with an experiment, we're, it's just so really easy to get back into that rut. And it's so much out there in the ethers and everything. I mean, the message of scarcity is out there big time. I mean, that's what marketing is all about. Oh, you, you're not good enough. You need this. We hear this is drummed into us over and over and over again. So this is not a difficult process. Like the course says, it's just so different that you have to be kind of vigilant and continue to ask, help me see this differently. Help me, you know, when you notice those old paradigms, those old thoughts, if you want to call that those, that old conditioning coming in, you have to immediately stop as soon as you recognize and go, no, this is not what I want. I help you to see it differently. So again, I think we need help from that, our connection to the bigger, the bigger possibility. I think we can ask for help and we, you know, that's the only way we can really get out of it because we are so conditioned. And um, so that's why we keep going back to it. It's just, it's easy. It's what we've done our whole entire lives. I mean, think about it from the moment you're born, 
you're weighed and measured against the other babies in the nursery. I mean, this is the life that we're born into. So that yeah. starts right away. You know, am I good enough? Am I, am I going to measure up? So to break these patterns takes vigilance. And I, I think the reason I like Courts and Miracles and why I practice it for so long because it's a daily practice. And it is, I mean, even an hour by hour practice, you know, you recognize how quickly you do fall off the, off the wagon, so to speak. And um, it gives you an opportunity to reset, reset, reset. And ideally, eventually it becomes second nature where you don't have to think about it as much. It's just kind of your way of being. And the other thing that I find so encouraging, of course, and Meryl says, this is our natural way of being, this, this field of infinite potentiality. That is what's natural. That is what, what we're meant to be connected to all and, you know, in love and in peace. That is our natural state. But again, we've been taught this other way of being. So we think that's the way it is, but it's not the way it is. And so that right there is encouraging to recognize that this sense of joy and peace and love is who we are. It is the truth. And as you start practicing that, um, it becomes more and more apparent and you, um, you recognize that and you live your life out of that truth. So something that came to mind when you were explaining that is, and it's a word I hear often is to surrender, to let go. Cause you said to ask for help. And I think a lot of people that's hard because they don't quote, want to let go of control. That's, that's scary for people because they want to think they have control or certainty. So how do you surrender your beliefs or your conditioning, your patterns to allow the FP to step in and help guide you? Well, there's an old joke, you know, somebody says, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And, and the guy goes, practice, practice, practice. <laughs> so it really is a practice. I mean, you know, you can have success with the experiments in the book and that's great and it will open that door, but you have to continue to practice. And it's, it's not like a, a scary practice or a not, or a, you know, rigorous, not fun practice. Like you mentioned the joy. I mean, it's like, what could be more fun than approaching life this way, knowing that, you know, you're connected to this bigger thing and that life is meant to work out for you and that you have a purpose. I mean, why wouldn't everybody want to be doing this? I mean, it's just funny how, you know, why we would get into these patterns, but for whatever reason, that seems to be a conditioned human that we, that we have, you know, come into this plane to overcome, I guess. So something you've broached a couple of times that I want to talk about is A Course in Miracles. And for some, they may have never heard of it, but you, was it maybe last year? I think maybe last year or, or the first of this year, but your book, A Course in Miracles Experiments. So my mom gave me the book, A Course in Miracles years ago uh, here in Denver. I, I used to go to a weekly meetup where they would, we would talk about, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? A, a daily lesson, daily lesson. Yeah, yeah. Because it, you know, it kind of is written in this hard to grasp language, but I, your, your humor and the way you approach it is just so relatable. So can you talk about what is A Course in Miracles and this, your, your book? Yeah, um, basically The Course in Miracles is a rewriting of everything we think we know, but how it started, there were two professors at Columbia University and there was a lot of department infighting. They weren't getting along. And the head of the department, it was like medical psychology at Columbia University, the head of the department threw his hands in the air one day and says, there has got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way than all this fighting, this backstabbing. So almost as if that request, his research assistant, Helen Shuckman, began channeling or having these thoughts come to her. And so the two of them together, the head of the department at Columbia and his research assistant, 
literally these thoughts would come through to her, the channeling of A Course in Miracles. And then he would, she would say them to him and he would type them. And this went on for several years. I think maybe seven years they, they did this process till this entire book came out. And, you know, they basically they thought it was the answer to their issues, you know, their problems and their department started changing. But eventually they realized, you know, this could work for other people as well. And so they mimeographed or Xeroxed off a, like 100 copies and sent it off to various people. And sure enough, people said, oh, my gosh, this is great. We need to this is a, a radical um, change in how, how we see the world. So it just kind of grew from there. And it's funny you said that about your mom gave you a copy and you couldn't really get into it. There's a question that people will often ask at any spiritual gathering. How many of you guys have the Course in Miracles? And you know, pretty much everybody will raise their hand. But then they'll ask them, how many of you actually read it? <laughs> and you know, maybe one or two people will keep their hands up because it is really hard to understand. And I'm sort of um, shocked that I've even stuck with it all these years because I didn't understand it for a really long time. I'm still not completely sure I understand it, but maybe that's the surrendering is knowing that I don't understand um, that sort of has helped me, uh, you know, go forth with my life to use it to great advantage. But it's, it's really, truly a rewriting of everything. You know, it says that everything we believe in the world is completely upside down. You know, every single belief that we have is the opposite of what's really real. Like abundance, that is the truth of the world. I mean, you go look, look at a tree, how many leaves on a tree? You can't even count them or how many, you take a square foot of, of lawn, how many pieces of grass? The, the world itself is just abundant, but our beliefs that we have to have this and we have to have this and there's not enough, that is what's formed the reality for so many people. But the actual abundance, anyway, the, the whole idea is that everything we believe is the exact opposite of the truth. And that's kind of the Course in Miracles in a nutshell. And A Course in Miracles, it's a year-long journey. There's a daily lesson. And, you know, sometimes it's, um, I think even in the beginning, isn't it to like literally just look around your room and, and to attach no meaning to things? Right, right. It's a rewriting of your mind. How the Course is, the first, there's a first section, it's a huge book. And the first section is the text and it kind of explains the principles. But the actual mind training is this second section, which is the workbook. And that is the 365 lessons are something you do every day. It's not hard. It's not really, you know, a big deal. It just takes the commitment to do it. And I've been, you know, starting on January 1st, I start over again every year with the lesson. And, it, you know, I think one of the first lessons is I don't know what anything means. <laughs> you know, I don't understand. So we don't understand. I mean, that's once you get that, then all those doors are open to a whole new understanding coming in. And so first you have to kind of, and you don't have to believe it when you first start doing it. That's one of the things that says, you know, this can seem ridiculous to you. Do it anyway, you know, do it anyway. And just, just see what happens. Again, it's like a test. It's a big giant test. In fact, all my books, you know, I have two books with experiments, you know, E squared and E cubed. And both of them are spawned, you know, directly from principles in the Course in Miracles. So that book has informed my work. Um, my book, Think and Grow Rich, about gratitude. That's straight from Course in Miracles. Too. In fact, one of the best ways to get on this frequency and to have better luck, you're asking, you know, what are some tips? Start focusing on what you have to be grateful for. We spend so much time talking about what we don't like, but, you know, I, I don't know how many of your... Uh, listeners have heard me talk about my AA 2.0 program, but I mean, I feel like that really changed my life and even led to the success of, um, of E squared. And it's a real simple process. You get up in the morning, 
you know, you've heard of AA, you know, the 12 step program. Well, this is a simple, I'm all about smooth and easy. So it's a real simple program. There's two steps. First thing you say when you get up in the morning, step number one is something amazingly awesome is going to happen to me today. So you just set that intention. You don't know what it's going to be. You just know something. And I've gone on to do bodaciously brilliant and on and on and on. But anyway, amazingly awesome. That's where the AA thing came from. And then the second thing is I have this little possibility posse and I text three blessings from the day before to them. And so the thing about it, a lot of people are going to but this has to be something different. Every day I have to come up with a new blessing to report to them. So I often feel like I'm Lewis and Clark out there scouting blessings. I mean, that's what my attention, that's the thing I want to animate into my life. So that's what I'm focusing on, all the blessings. And sometimes people go, well, what are the blessings? Well, my goodness, your heart's beating. You don't have to tell it to do that. The sun came up this morning. I mean, so many blessings, but we're focused. We animate into all our disgruntlements instead of focusing on the blessing. So why don't you sort of shift that way of thinking your perception to thinking more about all the things you have to be grateful for. And the list is endless. I mean, I've been doing this now since E squared came out. So 2013, so seven and a half years. And, you know, every day there's new blessings, new blessings, new blessings. I mean, they're really endless. When you start recognizing, you realize there's more than you could ever, ever even count or write down or send to your possibility posse. Yeah. So I first heard about a gratitude journal. I was in elementary school. So I was probably like eight years old watching Oprah. Mm-hmm. And I started a gratitude journal back then. Now I don't write it out, but every single night, and I, I've been committed to this since, well, I think around eight, but I think of five things from that day for which I am grateful. And it can be, you know, the sunshine, a call from a friend. Um, it's just, and I do, I find those little things because otherwise, and even when people come to me and, you know, it's so easy, misery loves company. People love to bitch and complain. But then I ask and I, and I kind of stop them in their tracks. I'm like, tell, tell me something good. Tell me something you're grateful for. And it's amazing to watch how quickly that one question can shift their perspective. And then, and then they can rattle off in a whole new direction by one question. Yeah, one of the questions I like to ask too when people get on the pity pot, so to speak, is I'll say, well, what would you like to have happen? You know, nobody even thinks about that, you know, like oh, this is happening, this is that. Well, what would you like to happen? Just think about that for a change. So that's another good question to kind of stop me in your tracks. <laughs> no, I'm writing that one down. What yeah. would you like to have happen? I like that. Okay, so then question for you. I know A Course in Miracles is something you study and um, live by. What are some other, is there mentors or philosophies? What is something that keeps you going and momentum in your life to... I mean, live in this joyous gratitude state. Well, I'd say Course in Miracles is my main teacher, but, you know, I've dabbled in all kinds of things. I mean, I, you know, it's funny because when I wrote E Squared, well, when I first wrote it, God doesn't have bad hair days. It came out about the same time as The Secret. And my editor said, I don't get this. You know, your book is just like The Secret. Why is it so popular in your book? Because, you know, basically it's saying the same thing. So anyways, but, but the, so then I found out like when the e, e squared came out, oh, they it is the best law of attraction. So I guess what I teach is law of attraction, or that is the term that everybody knows. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I don't know that I called it that in the beginning, because I don't know that I'd heard that term until later. So yeah, law of attraction. Um, but all of that comes from Course in Miracles, you know, saying that our thoughts are creating our reality, basically. Our thoughts, again, we're animating into our life, whatever we put our attention upon that's the bottom line. So it, what do you want to put your attention upon? 
So, so yeah, of course, in miracles have been my mainstay, but I've, I've been tapping, you know, being a Hay House author, you know, you used to go to, in fact, I've been to Denver to be at a, at a convention there. So you meet a lot of other people. So, you know, I'll, I've learned tapping from those, from, you know, Nick and Jessica. So I mean, tapping, I like Ho'oponopono. I mean, there's just a yeah. lot of different spiritual practices that I've dabbled in. It's just Courts of Miracles, the one I come back to that I've stuck with year after year after year. And that's kind of remarkable for me because I'm not a person that's necessarily that disciplined <laughs> or that, um, that sticks with one thing. Again, when we're talking about travel, you know, I want to go to new places. I want to see something different, but for whatever reason, I have stuck with Course in Miracles for a really long time. I've, I'm probably on my fourth copy of the book. You know, I washed one of them in the laundry one time. I mean, it, you know, and they just wear out after a while. So I just keep, you know, getting a new one and keep, keep reading it and keep trying to change my thinking. It's not like you ever get there. I mean, it's infinite expansion and change that can happen infinite love so there's always I'm like okay I've got it now it's not like that it's just like it never ends it's eternal it's um infinite it's ongoing question for you because I love to give listeners a like a takeaway a, something to put in the toolbox a framework so if you could I don't know if this is a morning routine or like a three-step program or what can people do every single day to tap back into the FP, to get back on track? Well, I think that gratitude practice, that AA 2.0 practice is a really good one. It's so simple. It's so easy to do. So I guess I would suggest that for people. Okay. And that's just declaring something amazingly awesome is going to happen to me today. And then sending those blessings to get a, what I call possibility posse. And it's five friends. And I, I text my blessings to them. And the good thing about having those people that are expecting it, and sometimes we'll, we'll, you know, let ourselves down, but we won't let our friends down. So that's why I suggest getting the little possibility posse or a group of friends. Like when we started doing this, we didn't call ourselves that. We just started doing that. And then when I realized that my thing was, I'd say something amazingly awesome is going to happen to me. I realized AA and then I turned it into the AA 2.0. So, you know, I kind of developed it as I went along just because it was kind of, you know, maybe not grammatically correct, but amazingly awesome. I mean, that was pretty inspiring in the beginning. Yeah. Now I've said it so many times, like I said, I've, I've switched it up to some, like something extraordinarily epic is going to happen to me today. Because, you know, just putting that intention out there and then going to the blessings right away, sending it. It's blessings from the day before, and I send it to these five people. So that's a real easy thing. I mean, you start out before you have time for your crazy mind to start getting in. You just declare that it's something. I don't specify what's going to happen. I just put it out there to the universe that something amazingly awesome is going to happen today. You know, so that's what I'm going to be looking for. That's what I'm expecting. That is what I'm animating into my life. So. I'm just curious, now that you've said that, can you name off the top of your head, like some amazingly awesome things that you declared that day that like happened for you, connections, or maybe something you had in the back of mind, and then it came to fruition? Like, I want some examples. Oh, well, it varies. You know, I've been doing this for, I guess, seven, eight years now. So it might be everything from a, a free skip to free trip to Lake Tahoe is one day I had that. I mean, I guess as a travel writer, I've gotten lots and lots of amazing travel. So over the years, I've had a lot of those on my list, but again, it has to be different every time. Sometimes it might be as simple as some little kid smiled at me in the grocery store or something. So, you know, it can be all different things. The point is to exercise your gratitude muscles to where you're thinking about it. You're actually looking for things to, to appreciate. 
Yes. Well, and that might be your answer to this next question, but what is a key takeaway you want listeners to get from today's conversation? Well, one of the things, you know, because I get this question from time to time and I, I, and it's kind of in the form of what's that one thing you'd put on a billboard or whatever. And for me, it's like, we should be suspicious of the voices in our head. Mm. <laughs> those voices in our head are the paradigm, the conditioned humaning, human, the conditioning, the judgments, the beliefs that we've been taught by our culture and our families. So if we're suspicious of that voice, then we can be open to this bigger voice to come in. So I guess just to be suspicious of that little voice in our head. I call it in the, in the course of miracles experiment, I call it the little ass hat. It's constantly trying to tell you, Hey, you need to do this, or you better watch out or, you know, all those little messages that, you know, fly through our head. Yes. I love that. Okay. I'd love to wrap up the interview and ask you a few rapid fire questions. Sounds good. What is a quote or motto that you live by? Wow. Um, I love quotes. I collect quotes. Is there one I like above all else? You know, I like the Course in Miracles quote, um, love created me like itself. <laughs> so that, that's a good one. Okay. What is a book you're currently reading or highly recommend? Oh, wow. Um, well, I love Eckhart Tolle's books, so I, I'm not currently reading those, but I recommend those. Um, the book I'm currently reading is a fascinating book about a, a guy who has been in San Quentin. Uh, he was, you know, imprisoned in there from the time he was, I think, 18 or 19, and he's now 50, 60. But he took on a meditation practice that completely changed his life in San Quentin. So if he's able to find peace and joy and happiness in San Quentin, <laughs> I think it's possible for all of us. Well, I know it's possible for all of us. But anyway, it's an inspiring book because, you know, what he had gone through, you know, just to, the social conditions he'd gone through to even, you know, end up there, but then to be able to break free from all those thoughts in his mind in San Quentin is pretty remarkable. So that's the book I'm currently reading. So, yeah, I don't, I can't remember the name of it, but it's uh, written, the guy's name is Jarvis, uh, or is it, is it Jarvis's last name? Anyway, I, <laughs> that's good. It's good. Okay. Um, what advice would you give your younger self? Uh, just keep going, keep believing, you know, my younger self had, um, people telling me that I was crazy to want to work for myself and follow my dreams. So I'm, I kind of would say to my younger self, good for you, you know, glad you went ahead and kept moving in that direction that you believed was possible. And final question for you, what's next for you? Are you currently writing a book or taking it easy? What's, what's on the radar? Well, I like to, uh, you know, do projects that I feel guided to do. So um, as you may have read in some of my work, my, my daughter passed of a, a brain aneurysm two years ago, which was, you know, a pretty difficult thing. Mm. And so I've been working, um, you know, to stay connected to her. Again, that's a paradigm that, you know, once we die, that's it. So that's been like the biggest like PhD program for me. So I'm currently working on a deck of cards and well, it's the coolest story. So this woman who had read my book, Art and Soul Reloaded, she's from Hamburg, Germany. And soon after I posted a you know blog post about Taz dying, she sent me 
a flower that she painted. She's an artist and this little glass butterfly that she had made. And she says, I am going to send you a flower because your daughter was as beautiful as a flower. And, you know, butterflies are the winner to the soul. I'm going to send you one of these every day for 50 or every week, 52 weeks. And, you know, people say a lot of things it's like, oh, yeah, right. That's going to happen. She did it every single Saturday for an entire year. She sent me a different flower. She told me the meaning of the flower. And it was a really healing, beautiful thing for her to do for me. Someone she didn't even know. I mean, she had read my book, but, you know, she didn't know me. She did this for me. And so I have I am hoping to take her flowers. That's what I'm working on now. In fact, I'm working on the proposal with little stories about um, our connection to the other side. You know, I talk about some of those things in, in my books. I mean, I've always been interested in that topic, but now of course I'm even more interested in that topic. So there's just a little card deck. And so it's for a person who is grieving and it's a way of staying connected with, um, with that person. For example, my daughter, we had a little thing about hedgehogs. The first of the month, whoever would say hedgehog, the other one first, we had a lucky month. It was just a crazy little game we played, started when she was maybe grade school, junior high, whatever. So now on the first of the month, every month since she's, well, I didn't start noticing until May. She passed in October. I get a hedgehog of some kind. Sometimes it'll come in on a text from her old phone. I mean, how does that happen? Um, sometimes I was doing an interview like this one day. It was happening to me May 1st. And the interviewer goes, you're never going to believe there's just a hedgehog in my backyard. She never had a hedgehog. You know, so every first of the month, my daughter will send me a sign. So basically, it's a bunch of stories like that about how we can have a connection to people on the other side. And it's just kind of encouraging stories to realize, again, it's so much bigger than we know. It's so much bigger than we know. Well, especially the the philosophy that we're all eternal. So that mm-hmm. death isn't real, you know, right. Um, I, I, I think you're into Abraham Hicks, but I, I listened to A. Yeah, no, I, I like Abraham Hicks too. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I dabble in all of it. Well, of course, America is one of the big tenets is, you know, uh, there is no death. There right. is no death. The son of God is free. So our bodies, our temporary bodies, little meat suits, they're temporary, but who we are, our consciousness yeah. that goes on, it is eternal and is infinite. So that gives me great comfort. And I know, you know, thanks for tuning into today's episode. Be sure to sign up for my free video training on how to get unstuck and create lasting change at heatherhakes.com. And I'd love to connect with you on the social platforms. You can find me on Instagram at heather.hakes, Facebook, Heather Hakes, and YouTube. Guess what? You got it. Heather Hakes. I'll catch you on the next episode. 